Nelson, Ryan, are, are you ready to go here? Uh, should be good to go, yeah. Alright, let's set it off. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second episode of the Porch Podcast. You got yourself, again, Ryan Mangan, my co-host, Lucas. Jello. Got Roman behind the booth, What's making that? sure everything stays afloat. We're trying here, we're trying. Mm -hmm. And we'll be joined by special guest today, Chris Diamond. Hello. Ooh, welcome, everyone. So, this is a little bit different. Normally, we'd start off with a little bit of... Uh, Simple breakout news, or no, what the fuck, no, sorry, simple news, but in breakout terms, Cam Newton just got signed to the New England Patriots, which is a big, probably one of the biggest blockbuster moves to happen this free agency so far, so I just wanted to get everyone's opinions and thoughts on that signing. Oh yeah, this is uh, big news, uh, I think it greatly improves their offense as a whole, you know, the, the, the running style quarterback, you know, Sonny Michelle might even be a little more of a value, a guy who's looked down upon after his just horrendous 2019 outing. I think this really can, like, push him up, you know, mid-tiers a little bit because we see with rushing quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson how it, like, greatly benefits the running game having that second guy on legs to really stretch out defenses. It's true. It's true. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm very interested to see yeah. uh, how this next season plays out for him. Yeah, I, uh, mm -hmm. this is also good news for Julian Edelman, and great news for uh, first-round pick uh, Nikhil Harry, who I think had a very disappointing and injury injured uh, rookie season. So, you know, an upgrade at a quarterback should let him uh, thrive a little more than he did in the past. Mm -hmm. I think this instantly takes the Patriots from being in the middle of the pack in terms of being able to win the division to slightly being favorites now if if cam noon were to get that starting job because based on this based on how some of the other teams are how the afc east is kind of a little wide open right now anything's possible cam noon gets a starting position patriots are back into potential a playoff team and also also i wanted to ask about where we think his fantasy production would be if he were to be if he were to win that starting job uh i, I... For me, it's not a question of if he's already the starter in my mind. He might need to prove it to Bill Belichick, but to me, he's a starter. Uh, uh, as I look at, at my rankings, um, I'm slotting him anywhere from like 12 to 15. You know, that, in that range, I have Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, Josh Allen, and Ryan Tannehill. Really, that low? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's. There's still a lot of uncertainty with him. It's a new offense. It's a big change. He also still some injury concerns about him. Yeah, I think that's, so he, that's, the, that's the biggest thing for me is, is injury yeah. concerns. If he's going to be able to just stay healthy through the season. But, I mean, like, there is some, like, if we make the comp to Andrew Luck, who took the year off of football and gave time to fully heal his body, and then we saw that he came back and played at a pretty elite level. I think we could make a similar comparison to Cam Newton this year in uh, having the, the full year of rest for his body. Exactly. And the Patriots love using the short game, so that would benefit his uh, easing back into the NFL with his arm. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, I think we're all in agreement that we think this is a positive thing for the Patriots. So the next thing we wanted to talk about is just the COVID talk in general, how... Will COVID play out? Will the NFL season start on time? Will training camps happen how they're supposed to? What exactly will be going on? Uh, yeah, I've just kind of, I one thing I've been a little bit curious about is I've been seeing a lot of players doing outside workouts with each other. They always post out those workout videos. And then we've seen NFL execs the next day kind of come down saying, yeah, we really don't want players doing that at all. So I'm just kind of curious to see how this offseason is going to play out and what your guys' thoughts are. For me, the off-season workouts, like, NFL execs have to condemn them for, you know, they can't be like, oh, we're encouraging this behavior when it's highly risky and not, and potentially, you know, harmful to the players if they get sick and get a serious infection from COVID. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, it's more them covering their backs. Like, they don't, I think they want their teams to work out and be good, but they have to come out and publicly state, this is not what you're supposed to be doing for uh, more legal reasons. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. They don't want any of that to come back onto them, yeah. yeah. I'm really interested to see how this is going to affect rookies getting like implemented in the offense and seeing how they're going to get, like, I don't know, caught yeah. on, on what's going on. 
I feel like that could, this could like hard delay, yeah. especially if they aren't able to do their normal practices or normal training camps and all yeah. that. I think that can that can very much delay play some of the, for, the the development for them. For me, this hurts rookie wide receivers the most mm-hmm. because um, you know, like in years past with like guys like DJ Moore, or Debo Samuel, or AJ Brown, they have a very or DK Metcalf, they have a very strong second half breakout. And, you know, they have a very rough start to the season, and this, I think, could exacerbate what happens to them a little bit more because they have to... They're not getting all this, like, you know, last year, wide receivers, and they're already having rookie minicamps and working out OTAs with the, the full offense. So I think this is... Uh, it's going to hurt rookie wide receivers the most because they have, like, the most to adjust to to the NFL game versus rookie running backs. It's more... Uh, plug them into the offense type of situation. Exactly, yeah. Honestly, that point right there kind of ties into the next question I had, which was about where you want to target certain players in the draft now in terms of COVID. And I think your point in rookie wide receivers taking a little bit of dip is the perfect example of players that you might take a little bit later in fantasy drafts now considering everything going on just because there could be that slow start there might be like a cd lane who doesn't break out till maybe like week 11 week 12 and by that point you're already at the playoffs so who knows so that's that's yeah. my thoughts on that uh here i have a question for you how does uh, a guy like ezekiel elliott who has come out and gotten covid and then presumptuously he's going to be fine by the time the season starts how does that affect your draft board, knowing that he's like probably not going to be at risk to um, come down to the illness of COVID during the season because he already uh, has those antibodies? Does that like move him up? How does that affect your draft strategy with him? Uh, I at this point, with everything we know about COVID, I think for anybody, it should be a move up onto your draft board because if they if the testing says what this says with if you've already had it once and you have the antibodies for it, you can't get it again. The COVID to me just seems like a second injury risk factor, not the sense that it is an injury, but every single year you have players that get injured and you can't really tell how that's going to happen. This is the same thing. It's just injuries and COVID. So if you already take out the COVID possibility from that, to me, that's just a less risk of a player. So I would definitely move Zeke up my board. Not to say that he would move up any more than he already has, because to me, he's a top three running back I would take this year. But I definitely think with players that have already tested positive, they should move up on your boards. Well, let's say uh, it doesn't come out that Christian McCaffrey or uh, Saquon Barkley come out as being tested positive. Would you consider taking Zeke over them just for the fact that you know he's not going to miss games to COVID-19? See, in terms of star players like that, like with a Zeke or a Christian McCaffrey or Saquon, I don't know if it's necessarily worth taking either one of those. Because in, in, re- in honesty, any one of those guys could end up leading the league in rushing, so it's kind of like a, a toss-up, really, to say. But I would more so make that claim for guys in like the third or fourth round. Like if there's a, um, like maybe running backs like Kenyon Drake or in like the James Conner, that kind of like tier area. If one of those guys has already tested positive, compared to the okay. other one, and I was beforehand kind of iffy, I'm definitely going to take the guy who's already had COVID over the guy who hasn't. So maybe not the top tier guys, but like the second to third, fourth round guys, I definitely consider it more. Yeah. Like uh, my my. Also, I think the COVID could have some bigger impacts, you know, because like for example, if like Russell Wilson or Carson Wentz comes down with it, you know, that's two weeks where they're not in the offense and they're not starting, and that's just mm-hmm. a whole new rhythm they're gonna have to build, and it could seriously reduce the production of people just because they got it. In season, yeah, no, like a quarterback contracting COVID and then going to be out for a minimum of two weeks. That's going to have huge impacts on all of the all the players on the offense there. And I feel like no one's really thought to like talk about that impact and uh, how that's going to affect a team through the season or during the season. Yeah, take take a look at the Jets from last season when Sam Darnold got mono. Their team took a huge dive down, and Sam Darnold isn't even necessarily the proven guy in New York yet, and their team instantly took a dip just from that. So you take a Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, yeah. It's a pretty dramatic step down from Sam Darnold to Trevor Simeon to Nick Folk, or whatever his name is. So, yeah. Any any change from the starting quarterback is just going to be huge. Huge and going to have a lot of impact. But uh, Chris, what what are you feeling on this right now? Uh, I am worried about the NFL season. As a whole. Period. 
which doesn't doesn't invite so much of a conversation with uh, within fantasy football because it kind of shuts down fantasy football. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, for me, I, I'm I'm worried that uh, with the reopening of uh, businesses, the economy, that it's going to be very difficult to um, it's going to be very difficult to have an NFL season. Um, but it, but if there were to be one and we were to resume uh, just normal NFL schedule. Uh, I imagine if if we start seeing multiple players get COVID, uh, we might run into some issues with just the oh, just the league shutting down because mm. um, it's very. I mean, if NFL is a full contact sport, right? Yeah. So you, you mm-hmm. can't have someone with COVID, and there will be regular testing. So hopefully, we'll know before the players head on the field and could possibly spread it to others. But um, it, I I, I want to bring up the interesting point of you know perhaps you know saying oh this player has already had COVID, um, that means you know I'm not. I'm not. I'm less worried about them getting COVID while the season's going. Maybe if too many players just start getting COVID, then the whole season shuts down. So why would you even look to you know certain players and draft certain players higher because they've already had it? When if people are going to end up getting COVID, this sh- season's going to shut down anyway. Maybe you just ignore COVID uh, entirely in, in your in your um, analysis of players. And but that, that's yeah. It's a little difficult. True. I mean, that's say. the. I mean, that's the a completely valid point to bring up. That's the opposite side of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just something to think about. Well, yeah. I mean, so what, what do you think the NFL should do to help keep the season progressing and for the potential start of it? Like, do you think they should have like a bubble situation, like the NBA has done, and just isolate a few cities where they're going to have people quarantined and set up to play in just restricted areas, no fans. Like, like have they even I, said if fans are going to be allowed in stadiums? And yeah, They said state by state because they're still going to have to pay stadiums a lot of money, even if they don't so have fans there. There's state for each state. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, that's what I've heard at the latest. But it, for me, it's like, um, I think the bubble situation is the only realistic way to go about this at this time because like what happens if um even a player dies you know even though these are relatively not at risk um age group or you know physical fitness wise if a player dies you know that's just going to shut down the season because that of how serious a risk it is Mm -hmm. to the players themselves Mm -hmm. I, i mean they're they're gonna have to expand rosters to some degree if they push the season through and if things are just gonna kind of proceed as normal they're gonna have to have some contingency contingency plans if a lot of players start contracting covid and they're gonna have to go into quarantine for a few weeks at the very least like they're gonna have to yeah they're gonna have to expand rosters to hold more players just so they have bodies to put on the field you know yeah i i think what the nfl should do is have like a sign free agents and like have them self quarantine and then have like a like a, a like a pre quarantined pool of players that if that teams can sign out like if they need to I think that'd be really interesting and you know because like if you know you have a left guard go down or something then oh you know like you're gonna have to like if you just bring a guy off the street you're gonna have to quarantine him for, for the two weeks to anyway. yeah. yeah so it's like if you have pre quarantined players to fill in gaps think that could be a huge benefit so like are those like free agent players like are they gonna have to go in their own bubble area to be on hold essentially for a whole season uh or are they just gonna have to be isolated alone alone in their homes and you know like honor system like yeah i didn't leave and I'm. I, I i i think it has to be more more than an honor system with regular tests i think it there has to be some sort of so they're gonna nfl oversight and test them at their homes and and be, and just have that go on throughout the season Instead of instead of having tests done for anyone else, you think they you think they could do that? Uh, maybe. Uh, like it's 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 a very unprecedented times we're in right now. So That's I true, it's yeah. it's very hard to tell how exactly this is all going to work out. Mm-hmm. But I think the NFL really their their main priority is to have a season and have the season safely. So. Um, I think they are going to take every precaution they can to make sure that it go it goes off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As of right now, the league is just under the impression and acting as if everything is going on schedule, and that's just how we have to take it until it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to be cautiously optimistic about the season, but exactly. 
very cautiously. As, as, yeah, a lot of this is stuff that'll just be too determined, so we mm-hmm. can't necessarily say too much about that. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the next topic. Uh, the only other big player news that we wanted to discuss was Debo Samuel uh, foot injury. Uh, I think this is definitely a little bit of a definitely a detriment to the Niners' offense because they said he'll be back by the start of the season, hopefully. If he like is, best, but best, I would, best case yeah, best case scenario. But I would also worry that if he does come back, more likely around like week two or three, that he doesn't end up coming back too soon and re-injuring the foot. So I think this could have a big of a much bigger effect on the Niners' offense than it might look like initially, because Debo Samuel was that guy for me to take that ne- next big step. Yeah, um, I was pretty excited for him. But I mean, what if what if the Niners start off like three and zero, and Debo's still rehabbing from his injury like they're they're not going to want to rush him back if, if yeah. the offense is still humming and let's say whoever whoever fills in for debo wherever debo really fits in on the offense is outside or inside the guy plays everywhere anyway like whoever fills in for for debo what if they are equally or more productive than, than debo and debo no uh, the... so, like, just hypothetical like what it, like, i i don't i don't think do you like drafted right e- like, like, like let let's say Debo, um, let's say Dante Pettis or Brandon Ayuk come out and have a stellar, you know, three weeks to break out the season. I don't think that you you can just put them in over Debo after what he showed last year. He showed you a very consistent guy who can be used as a running be- or ha- being effective in the running game, being effective in the passing game, great on screens, and uh, once he gets the ball in the hands, he can make just amazing plays happen. I don't think Debo's going to take a backseat. I think he's going to be heavily featured in this offense. Right, well, I guess like, my, my main point I was trying to say was if the Niners offense is humming and they get out to a great start and it seems like Debo isn't really missed, yeah. like you, you have to assume that they're going to not rush him back at that point and being like, yeah, just take your time, like fully rest up, and then you're just oh, like, yeah, I, I think player just giving you goose eggs every time on the bench every week. Uh, I, I don't know. Like for me... Because Debo has a like, he has a strong wide receiver to upside in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, for me, it's like tenth-ish round, depending on the news that comes out closer to drafts. But for me, it's like he he could end up being a, an immense value in drafts. I think. Yeah, yeah, pretty- yeah. Like for me personally, I think he'll definitely get a snap count if he were to come back not fully healthy in your hypothetical scenario that the Niners are like 3-4-0 and they're just running over teams and they don't necessarily need Debo to help a snap count in that scenario. But I do think once he gets back, though, he'll be a very big factor. I Because I agree with Lucas, high wide receiver 2 upside. If you're taking him in fantasy drafts in the ninth, 10th round and he ends up being your wide receiver 3, maybe even 4, depending on how you drafted, and he ends up coming back and he goes back to his full-on wide receiver stud status that he was starting from last year, I think he would be a steal later on. Uh, just, just to add to um, what you guys are saying, just for some extra detail and specifics, um, weeks one through ple- one through three, they play the Arizona Cardinals, the New York Jets, and the New York Giants. So oh. in my mind, oh yeah, so that, that level of competition <laughs> is not too hot. That that is one of the weaker, you know, splits three game splits you can find um, on their schedule alone. And I mean, if they're coming three zero off of that and they're feeling good about the rest of their year. I could see them trying to save Debo, you know, deeper into the season, um, just to make sure that they have him for playoffs because he's really using the offense. And I was really excited about him this year as well. He was, he was getting drafted around players like Rob Gronkowski in the sixth round, which was um, just didn't seem right to me. So yeah, I mean, I I I had targeted him and targeted him in my drafts. Um, but it's interesting, though. I feel a lot of people te- seem to overreact, especially when it comes to injuries. So I'm really interested to see how his ADP will be affected by this. If he goes too low, he could absolutely be a steal. If he stays around where he is, he might be a bit of a reach. So it's all about yep. uh, where he's in yeah. your draft. I mean, for me, that that's really good news that we, they have a very weak starting schedule because that doesn't put a lot of pressure on the Niners to need to throw him in against, you know the Steelers or uh, the Rams or something where it's like a, a must win game. It's more like, okay, we can, we, we, we have enough already to, to win these games. So we don't need to rush them back early and risk a larger injury. 
Yeah, because what's crazy is defensively, the hardest matchup for them will be the Jets. I mean, they have problems with Arizona. Like, those, those games have kind of gotten... A- Arizona is always going to... Like, like, division games are always competitive exactly, in some way. Exactly, division games. Yeah. Oh, right. As long as Jimmy G can cut down on his turnovers, I think the... Yeah. The Niners are going to be a lot better than last year, but... Yep, and the Niners will still have a good run game, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. All right. So, let's move on to the next one. We had a couple more outstanding trades that we still wanted to talk about. In uh, our first, fantasy league. In our in our own fantasy 12-man dynasty half PPR league, just for specifics. Uh, the first one is a trade that I made with our friend Cole. I did. Uh, I gave him DeAndre Swift and a second-round pick for Cortland Sutton. Uh, when I talked to people around our league, there was a bit mixed reactions because there's some people like myself who liked the idea of having Cortland Sutton and him potentially being wide receiver, low-end wide receiver one upside. Uh, but then there were other people that would have much preferred to have DeAndre Swift and that extra second round as backup. So I want to just open it up to you guys too. What you guys thought? Uh, I think you made a bad trade, and you know I've told you this before. I'm a uh, I I like DeAndre Swift. I think was the consensus number two running back in this draft class pre-draft before Clyde went to um, KC and he went to uh, a committee with Carry On. Mm-hmm. But I think like. DeAndre Swift is it, there's nothing stopping him from being the the lead guy in the Lions offense for me because the Lions have had such an issue with Carryon getting injured when he tries to hit, you know, that 15-20 touch a game workload. So I think they're going to they like him as a player, but they want him to be more of a secondary piece in their offense, not like a primary back, but still featured. So I don't think there's going to be a huge uh uh like like he already has a fairly guaranteed workload compared to guys like Jonathan Taylor and Clyde who are competing with more alpha backs in their backfields per se. So mm-hmm. I think his workload is a little more guaranteed. Lions have a great offensive line. I um and like you know bell cow running backs are at a huge premium. For me that's the big difference is that DeAndre Swift features out to be a bell cow running back. He was relatively involved in the passing game. While Cortland Sutton is an exciting talent on a up and coming offense, I think um, he's just not quite as valuable as DeAndre Swift overall. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Roman, is there anything you wanted to add with that, or Chris too? Uh, I don't really have much to say. I mean, I man, just for the sake of it being DeAndre Swift and a second, the and a second is what's really nagging at me. But I have to. I, I I've been putting way too much weight on picks. I think, and I've been kind of leaning more towards the Cortland Sutton side recently. Mostly because mm-hmm. I'm wide receiver hungry, and I have Jerry Judy on my team. And just yeah, that. just for my I just yeah. Want that passing game to be successful at this point, so I kind of mm-hmm. have to yeah. put my chips on the Cortland Sutton side. But I mean, DeAndre Swift is going to have to take time to assert himself in the offense if he is going to. And Carryon Johnson is going to be healthy, and you know he's going to he's going to be still in the mix. Yeah, no, no, I, I never counted him out of the mix, but I think he's like worst case scenario for DeAndre Swift just starting the season. It's going to be a 50-50 time split. I don't see it any worse from that yeah. at, at week one, and I think there's only room for him to grow where it could be like a bit. Not to the extent, but like a Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara situation, where they're both getting, you know, being highly productive running backs, but like more of an RB2 sense than top five RBs. I guess the mm-hmm. court yeah. is just like, it's the more immediate value. You're getting the more immediate value out of that. Because the second round exactly, yeah. the Yeah. Because my thought, my thought process on the whole thing was, I like DeAndre Swift as a player. I had him lower than a couple other guys probably did on their draft boards. But as Roman had just stated, Corlin Sutton to me was the proven wide receiver talent, and DeAndre Swift is another rookie, so you have no idea what's going to happen there. I also just didn't like him landing in Detroit. Even though he'll be splitting with Carrion and he has a better chance of staying healthy than Carrion, it just, to me, that's going to be a really tough division to win out in. And so for me, I don't necessarily see them being one of the like top teams leading the league in rushing. I see them as like a bottom 10 team in rushing, so it just makes me a little bit more concerned for the amount of value that they get. Yeah. I think DeAndre Swift has more value in the receiving game than Curryon, so that's where he could end up giving yeah. a little edge over him. But that was my big concern, which is I, w- I didn't like the spot in Detroit. Had he been drafted anywhere else, 
you look if he had been on any other team and you look at this trade, I definitely think the DeAndre Swift in, in a second is more than Cortland Sutton. Yeah. But just as of right now, the Sutton proven commodity over those two, I feel like was worth it. So yeah, that's what I would do. And then moving on to oh, the second Chris, one. Yeah, oh no, Chris, Chris yeah. Oh, yeah. My bad, yeah. Yeah, if you want to talk about injuries on the Detroit Lions, um, sure, you know, running back injuries can help free up more room for DeAndre Swift. But uh, my concern is Matt Stafford and Marvin Jones, who are two huge parts of the offense that uh, just seem to get injured every year. Where they're, they're very prone to injury. And if, if, if you see one of those two go down, the Lions really just don't perform the same, um, which is not going to give a lot of rushing opportunity for DeAndre Swift as well. So that, mm-hmm. that definitely concerns me a lot. Um, I don't think anyone really liked his landing spot on the Lions, but I don't quite hate it as much. I don't think they've really had a bell cow back um, of the caliber of DeAndre Swift, which is why you know their team's rushing numbers historically are not superb. But as far as the trade's concerned, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a clear winner on either side. It's really more how you feel about rookies versus proven talent. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it was as much of a sweep as some people were, uh, were saying. For for me, the the one thing though is, uh, AJ Brown taught me last year landing spot doesn't matter as much as people think. Where okay. good players are going to be good in bad situations, and for me, that's why I'm still like not completely hating on DeAndre Swift and saying I he can still. Be. You could say you could almost make the case for Corlin Sutton. You know, he's getting thrown to by you know rookie Drew Locke, who hasn't quite proven it himself, but man's a talented player, so he, he really showed <laughs> out. So. Sometimes you have to ignore the landing spot a little bit to, to find uh, value. Yep, we'll, we'll just wait to see. And then, moving on to the second trade, which is DeAndre Swift getting traded right back to a different team. We have Justin Jefferson and a first-round pick for DeAndre Swift. Uh, the one caveat I'd like to add is that the DeAndre, or the DeAndre Swift, the person who got it, also had carry-on Johnson, and his uh, his... RB situation was a little dire, and he his starting wide receivers are Michael Thomas, Juju, and Kenny Galladay. So, from a pure roster construction standpoint, I think this trade makes a lot of sense. He guaranteed his RB2 spot, because he only had Josh Jacobs, and then his RB3 is like name Hines. So he's starting, mm-hmm. he's, he's starting a more complete roster because of this, but I think pure value-wise, he overpaid for DeAndre Swift, just because Jeff Justin Jefferson's a very highly touted prospect and then an additional first next year. Yeah, I mean that's my that's how I would that's how I thought about it. Exactly. If he didn't have DeAndre's if he didn't have Corian Johnson on his team, this trade wouldn't have made sense. But he does and he needed the running back depth, so I don't have anything different to say from what you said. I, I imagine that having sending a second round pick would make this trade perfect for me. Um, but sending the first really hurts me. It seems like he's really giving up two firsts for DeAndre Swift. I imagine mm-hmm. if he had had a little more foresight or um, just made more you know, looks around the league and tried to trade up in the draft just beforehand before players got assigned to, like names got assigned to the values, and you, just, you see just, oh, like, you know, you think maybe mm-hmm. DeAndre Swift was with the fourth pick or no, the fifth pick in our draft. Somewhere around there. So, mm-hmm. he, I think CD was fourth. Uh, he was DeAndre Swift won six overall. Six. It was CD, so, Judy, and then Swift. I imagine he could have gone that without having to give up a first, basically his first, you know, the one year and then the first year after. So, um, just unfortunate. A little bit of an overpay, in my opinion, but at least he got his guy that he wants. So, we'll see how that works out. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's, and then, uh, that's all we're going to say, maybe. Awesome. Alrighty. So now we're going to move on from trades, and we're just going to talk about individual players. We compiled a little bit of a list of players that we think are going to continue to take that next big step. These are players that have proven themselves to a degree, uh, but we think that this next upcoming 2020 season, asterisks if it actually happens, that they'll actually have the breakout year that we think they will. Uh, the first guy we have on our list here is Kenny Galladay. And yeah. so, we know Kenny Galladay finished as a top 10, top 12 fantasy receiver anyway, but we just think that he is just capable of continuing that production. For, for me, the biggest thing that people are forgetting about Kenny Galladay is that Matthew Stafford was paced out to 5,000 yards before he got injured um, mm-hmm. through like eight, nine weeks of play. And so, if we take a, even a similar number of uh, a similar metric of yards in 2020, 
I think there's a huge chance for him to, you know, be looked at in that, that top top eight light that, you know, he's just in the tier below that. I think he can take a solid step forward. You know, there's not a huge amount of car target competition with Marvin Jones where he will have his role. TJ Hawkinson will, will see if he can even break out, but there's not a, a lot of target t competition from stopping him from being a, a big alpha receiver. Yeah, he's easily he'll he'll be the number one target in Detroit for years yeah. to come as long as he stays on that roster. And I think I think that point of where he's just below that like top tier of wide receivers, where he's in that tier two, I think mm -hmm. is a perfect perfect equivalent of or I guess uh, evaluation of his uh, potential. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, let's see. Next, we've also got DJ Moore. Now, this is a guy that I really wanted to talk about because me yeah. being a Panthers fan, I absolutely loved the pick when he was drafted. I absolutely love his play style. And the guy put up, a, I believe, a 1,000 yards and four touchdowns with the likes of Kyle Allen and Will Greer quarterback. So even an upgrade to Teddy Bridgewater with the advancements and the upgrades to the offensive uh, coordinator position and the head coach spot, I think this is DJ Moore's year. I think this is his year to really break out where he can truly be the number one receiver and the big number one receiver that the Panthers have been missing since Steve Smith. Yeah, for me, the, the big thing, it's um, Teddy, they got Teddy Bridgewater, and he showed on his six-game starting stretch that he was elite in the short-to-medium passing game, mm -hmm. where DJ Moore excels, and then DJ Moore, with his yak ability, can really break out those, you know, 70, 80-yard touchdowns, 50-yard touchdowns. Yeah, and he's really, amazing, amazing after the catch. Where he Where it's like, get the ball in his hands and let him do the work, rather than, like, have him run a streak with Tyreek Hill, and then... Patrick Mahomes throw the ball 60 yards downfield. I think this it, it, offense is relatively geared towards him. Um, and uh, that that Panthers defense has been quite neutered with the retired of Luke Keekly and then them losing players in free agency and trading some away. Mm -hmm. I think this team, it's like, it's not necessarily trying to win in 2020. It's trying to build a culture and, you know, figure out what they want to do overall. Mm -hmm. And I think DJ Moore is just set up to have a huge fantasy scoring year this year. Yeah, because the Panthers are... I'm not... As a Panthers fan, I am not going to be surprised if they finish last in the division just because of how stacked it's going to be this oh, yeah. year because the the Falcons will be going for it because they need to use Matt Ryan for as long as they've got. Saints are going for it because they didn't want to use Drew Brees as long as they got. And then same for the Bucks. They've all got big veteran quarterbacks. And then you throw in Teddy Bridgewater in the mix, but I really like the combination of him and the offensive coordinator that got Joe Brady because the offense that Joe Brady ran for LSU with Joe, Joe Burrow was directly inspired from the Sean Payton New Orleans Saints offense. So adding that in, considering that that's where Teddy Bridgewater was when he was successful for those five games he started, it's just a, a really good combination, in my opinion. I, th it just, I think DJ Moore yeah. can go nowhere but up. He was targeted 10 or more times in eight weeks last season, and then... 10 weeks out of last season, he was targeted nine or more times. Mm -hmm. For me, I... Yeah. For me, I have him ranked at 10, but I would not be surprised if he's hovering at 5 or 6 at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Very much so, yeah. He was the guy that I've been trying to trade for this offseason, and I've had no luck, which I'm not surprised. <laughs> oh, same. <laughs> there you go. All right. Great. All right, and then the next guy we got on our list is someone I think that Lucas and Roman would like to talk about a little bit more than I do because of how much more hyped they are in him. But we got our boy Miles Sanders, the Eagles running back. And so I'll just yeah. let Lucas take this one away. Okay, so uh, Miles Sanders, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is a running back by committee situation, and Doug Peterson left to spread the ball around in his backfield, which is true to a degree. But last year, towards the, the back half after... Jordan Howard got injured and went down. Miles Sanders was the clear-cut bell cow in that backfield and the uh, number or the the third running back after Jordan the weeks Jordan Howard got injured in in overall in the NFL and I think there's just nothing really stopping him from getting that volume load to truly be a you know a true bell cow and truly take over as being you know drafted in that you know early to mid first round next year for me because you know they were rumors that you know Carlos Hyde was going to get signed but he didn't end up getting signed I think they truly want to 
spotlight him in this offense and take some of that pressure off Carson Wentz where he can truly just excel. You know, he's also a great receiving back, which is one of, I think, the underlooked characteristics about him is how um, strong in the receiving game he was in in his rookie season, which is hard to see in uh, young running backs. They usually struggle and take a year or two to truly develop as receivers. Definitely, yeah. So would you say would you say that he has low RB one, high RB two value, or would you even say he has mid RB one value? I, I would say more mid RB one value right now. Okay. Like if they if they signed Devontae Freeman, which I don't think they will, or because, but if they sign a guy, then it's maybe more low end RB one value. But I think right now with how we're looking at this team, he's um he's got that mid RB one value with some huge boom week upside. Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, Roman, I don't know if you wanted to say anything just because you are the owner of Miles Sanders in our league. Well, he's my number one RB, so he better be an RB1. <laughs> <laughs> put some, uh, put some uh, rookie draft capital into him, and yeah, he's 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 got he's got to pan out for me. But yeah, I mean, him him just getting the number one job with no more Jordan Howard in his way, I think he's just he's primed and ready to go. And I think Carson Wentz just needs to stay healthy for Sanders to really just have a fantastic and mm-hmm. potentially potentially elite RB season. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, you got anything to add? Uh, I have him as my RB10 this year. Really? RB10? There you go. I have, I have him as 8, so just slightly above ahead of you. I think I've got him at like 14 or something, but he's one of those guys where I would not be surprised if he shot up. Yeah, let's see. I've got oh I've got him I've got him at seventeen. I need to readjust my rankings. That is way too low. I just realized that. Seems to be leaving the station for Miles Sanders. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> there we go. All right, moving on to the next running back uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. We got Kenyon Drake. Yeah, this is a guy I think a lot of people. He's he's been like everyone scouted him and liked him, but in Miami he's never had the the quite big enough of a role to truly be, you know, that bell cow. And then he got traded mid-season after the David Johnson and Chase Edmonds injuries to the Cardinals, where he was used as a bell cow, racked up 800 yards on the season, and was nothing but pr- productive. Um, And I think, like, you know, he was also quietly involved in the passing game, which you'd love to see from running backs. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, the, the, the big selling point is it's um, that he is just you know he uh he uh, has uh, the backfield to himself primarily except for uh uh Chase Edmonds who might see a small role but um oh sorry my mom was talking to me uh <laughs> yeah no no Kenyon Drake is uh I think he's really um just a strong all-around running back, and now that we've seen him finally get that primary role, he can excel in, you know, running backs with a running quarterback usually tend to be a little more efficient because defenses have to, like, put a put a guy on the quarterback instead of worrying about him. And this is going to be a strong passing offense, so they can't really stack the box when they got DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald to worry about. So there's going to be a lot of room for him to operate and succeed in overall. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, to me, he was, he's another Alabama running back. And so outside of the names of like a Trent Richardson or maybe a TJ Yeldon, most Alabama running backs have translated pretty well to the NFL. So for him to finally get a starting running back opportunity on a team that actually has potential and isn't in a tanking situation, I think is super beneficial for him. I see him as another one of those guys who could, who you see potentially is like an RB2, but puts up RB1 numbers week to week, depending on who the matchup is. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm liking some Kenyon Drake because the Arizona offense will be very lethal. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing is Kenyon Drake's playing for a contract next year. We've seen these running backs get stiff-armed pretty hard money-wise these past few years. Mm-hmm. And Kenyon Drake's going to be a free, uh, unrestricted free agent in 2020. So he's he's playing for that dough, you know. He's not going to... He's He's really got to excel for him to, you know get a you know a solid 10 million dollar a year contract from a team mm-hmm. so i think he, he is is quite motivated i usually like to target players on a contract year because there's a little more financial incentive for them to play well definitely yeah and then uh roman and chris anything about Kenyon drake 
Uh, I will say that Kenyon Drake was the number four RB after he was traded to the uh, Arizona Cardinals and took over that role. Number four. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, that's, that really speaks for itself. It's not a small sample size. I'm not saying he's going to be number four again. But um, he certainly has that potential. So you'd be wise to, to realize that when you're looking at drafts and you're seeing the name Kenyon Drake, which doesn't exactly spark as much, you know, you know, faith as you know other names around him. But he certainly has that upside this year. Uh, where would you? I'm not. You I can was, go. I was just going to talk about his 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 games with Miami compared to his games in Arizona last year. He only had two weeks where he had over 10 attempts in Miami. Only two weeks. Out of six weeks, only two weeks with over 10 attempts. I mean, that team was just trying to lose the game, so of course they didn't want to give him the ball. He does not have a game under 10 attempts. He got up to 24 and 22 attempts, and in those games he got respectively 166 and 137 yards. So the guy just needs to get the ball. And I think yeah, he's productive. was able to see that, and they both got wins in those games when they gave him the ball against Cleveland yeah. and against Seattle. Like pretty important games, like but you know, they ended up yeah. twelve overall. Where would you guys draft Kenyon Drake? Just thinking about it, I'd say the same category you had from uh, Miles Sanders, like late first, early second, more so on the late first round potentially, or well, actually no, late to early second. Yeah, yeah, I've him in that same for me it's like that cluster in the if you're drafting back after the first it's like you're trying to grab a nick chubb aaron jones Kenyon drake type type deal in that back mm-hmm. half of the first or early second round exactly yeah awesome. all right so we got one last player we want to talk about and i feel like this is the this is the biggest question mark honestly out of all these guys as to whether or not he'll actually finally have his breakout season and that's joe mixon the Bengals running back Oh, Joe Mixon, I'm just a huge fan of. You know, I took him 110 last year in a dynasty startup and had mixed results. But uh, this year I'm expecting him to take, he can take in a huge elite step forward. Um, for me, uh, one of the things like that he does, isn't going to have that competition of an Austin Eckler or Philip Lindsay taking targets and touches here or there. The backfield is fully to himself, where he is just gonna be have that you know eighty percent plus workload in the backfield. You know he um, uh, was very productive in some uh, analytical metrics last year. You know in yards created, he was second in the NFL with five hundred and sixty-seven yards created on the on the year. Uh, number one in evaded tackles with one hundred and three, and third in goal line carries, which shows he can he's elusive with the ball. He can. Uh, he's getting the goal line attempts where he can, which are the the money plays for you because one yard can equal six points, and he is making yards on his own, um, even with not no, a, a strong offensive line. Where they're gonna, they signed a, a guard in off season, and they're gonna get Jonah Williams back because he missed his whole rookie season with a torn ACL, was which was very sad for me to see. Um, the uh, the one question is how involved is he going to be in the passing game where he wasn't super involved in 2019, but I think he can take a bit of a step forward, seeing you know somewhere around 60, 65 targets this year with Joe Burrow, who showed last year he likes to target the the backfield in the passing game with uh, Clyde Edwards Lair, who had 55 targets I believe, um, and with a stronger passing game, with AJ Green back, they got T. Higgins. John Ross might have a healthy year. Who knows? Um, you know, Tyler Boyd in the slot. I think that takes a lot of pressure off him, where he saw a lot of stacked boxes. The defense might have to spread out a little more and give him more room to operate overall. Um, he is one of my big breakout players of 2020, if the season happens. Definitely, yeah. For me, Joe Mixon, the two biggest things that I feel like will either help or hinder his production is like you mentioned earlier the offensive line that has been the biggest problem for the Bengals since he has joined is their offensive line has been the bottom has been in the bottom third of the league every single year in terms i'm pretty sure of run blocking and pass blocking and then also the second thing too is the fact that they're no longer in a tanking mode 
Joe Mixon last yeah. year put up really solid fantasy numbers too on a team that was intentionally tanking for that bottom pick. So now that the Bengals aren't necessarily in an organization situation where they're trying to figure out their direction, they've got their franchise quarterback. They still have their star receiver. They're building the pieces defensively and around the offensive line. If there's any year for Joe Mixon to finally have that big year, it's this one. Because for me, if Joe Mixon doesn't have a breakout year this year, I'm just not going to be too interested in him if he stays in Cincinnati or if he goes somewhere else. So this is this is kind of like his prove-it year for me. He's also on the contract year, which we talked about with Kenny and Drake. So he, he's playing for, for that moolah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him, him and about a third of the starting running backs in this league are going to be in their contract years which is kind of crazy yeah yeah so i guess that's that on joe mixon and so we're going to finish off the podcast today with uh not necessarily a breakout player sort of debacle but one thing i wanted to just talk about was the miami backfield because out of a, a lot of the teams that we've been discussing there's a lot of them that have a lot of uh, star running back potentials, but Miami is the one backfield that doesn't necessarily have one guy that stands out as the definitive starter. And I just wanted to kind of talk through and think and see who we thought was going to end up getting the starting job, who we think was a better fit for the team and whatnot. Um, for me, like I want to say Matt Burita, and I like love Matt Burita because he's just been nothing but great on the Niners. But I have to go with Jordan Howard, just because as every team that 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 picks him up just he he succeeds on he gets a whole bunch of rushing yards he's not a great pass catcher which okay but he's just always been super productive on whatever teams even on the eagles before he got injured he's just been a strong running back but then he doesn't excel in the passing game so teams don't want to commit to him but there there's just like you know he he was like very strong rusher on the bears for me, it has to be Matt Burita, just because if Miami, I think, is a little bit more of a win-now mode than straight tank for Tua situation, because they already got their Tua quarterback. Mm-hmm. So even though Jordan Howard is abysmal in the passing game, I think he is the value there. You know, Matt Burita will have a role in the offense overall, but I think Jordan Howard is more of a value pick because we've seen him be productive before. Yeah, definitely. I was curious. I didn't quite remember what kind of contract the Dolphins signed Matt Brady to. If it was like a one year, one year, two. Well, no, no, he's still on his rookie contract because oh, they, they traded. Yeah. They traded for him from the Niners okay, during many, the draft. There's only like a year or two left on that uh, rookie contract. I'll look at I'm that. There might just be two. Years. Uh, maybe it is just one year. I'm not. I'm not sure. Because I'm pretty sure, I think he might be one, I think because he was a, uh, oh no, yeah, because it was him and uh, Damian Williams. They had a little thing, they were the two starting running backs, but they were both undrafted free agents. And if they're both, yeah, so they're both being contract years. So yeah, I think Jordan Howard will get the more uh, goal line and more carries work, but I think Matt Breda could definitely be that fun change of pace uh, receiving back. He's He definitely, to me, can be one of those guys where, like, one out of every four weeks, it's like Matt Breda that scores more fantasy points than Jordan Howard. So it might be an investment to get both of them yeah. if you're trying to draft one or the other. But in that sense, I definitely also would agree with drafting Jordan Howard over Matt Breda. But I also don't necessarily know what round I would draft them in. Like, I'm trying to think. Would it, Would you wait to, like, maybe, like, somewhere in, like, the fourth, fifth round? To, like, maybe pick uh, them up? Or you, like, bo- both, of them, them? both of them are... are uh past ADP 100 and ESPN right now. So I think you can wait a little later, and I think there's high value for both of them in the late rounds. Overall, for me, I'm like around the 10th round. I like, like For me, if you're going 0RB, which I'm not a huge fan of, uh, these, these guys are late round targets for me, if you're going 0RB, and having them as your RB4, I, I would be very happy with overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I feel like yeah, they could definitely be late round uh, sneakers too. Uh, overall, uh, also Matt Breida is, uh, has a one year, three million dollar contract. One year okay, so one year left. My biggest thing was I was very curious to see what the Dolphins would do next season as well. It's not exactly the same point we we're talking about, but I was of the fan of the throwing the idea that next year they should sign Kareem Hunt if possible. I, I feel like that could be a good fit for them. So he, here's here's my thought process into what the Dolphins are going to doing. They're gonna they're gonna draft an offense. 
for me, I think the Dolphins, what they've shown is they don't really value running backs super highly, and they're, they're like, okay, we can throw in Jordan Howard. He's, you know, very undervalued by the market. Okay, we can throw in Matt Breida, who's undervalued by the market, and let's build a team, and then once we have our team, our winning team, we're going to draft a running back on a rookie contract and then use his rookie contract and let him go. For me, I don't see them investing a, a high uh, dollar value into the running back position overall. You make, a, but, you make a very good point. That would be very smart for them to do that, yep. But Kareem Hunt is maybe in the cards, depending on how his 2020 season goes yeah, overall. I just, I just wanted to throw that little teaser out there just because yeah. I was, was curious. But So if we're both in agreement, we got Jordan Howard over Matt Breed in that sense. Uh, I think that was the last point that we were going to talk about today. I think we're just going to wrap things up here if there's any last little tidbit you guys want to throw in before we call it uh yeah just one like major major point that we forgot to talk about was lucas saying that james washington the receiver on the pittsburgh steelers is not going to get 300 yards this year okay james washington oh, yes. is the biggest joke ever like like, <laughs> <laughs> like he he had like under he had 184 yards his rookie year and showed nothing when ab was out when juju was injured and and just did nothing in a role where he's supposed to succeed, and then it's like, oh, what do we do the year after? Let's draft Deontay Johnson. Okay, uh, and Deontay Johnson has some hype around him this year, but I think it's a little overhyped overall. But we don't need to get into that. Deontay Johnson's going to have his role. Okay, what do we do next year? Let's draft Chase Claypool in the second round. That just shows they have no faith in this man. That he's nothing but just a special teams player for them, and that he's just going to do nothing for this team. Like James Washington is just—he's—he's he's in the dumpster. <laughs> like he—he's already out the door. Wow. They're only keeping yeah, so, him because wow. he's on a rookie cheap contract. Very very passionate. For, well, for yeah, James Washington. If for some ridiculously stupid reason you're listening to this, just know that we're sorry. <laughs> Be better. <laughs> Get good. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thank you, uh, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Chris, for everything. And there we go. And until next time. Everybody, the next time. Probably Wednesday. Bye-bye. Wednesday. See ya. See ya.